The good news is that behavior and behavior change is not as complicated as most people think. Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 39. So here we are. We're in the new studio. It's all right, actually. It's taken a bit of getting used to. Um, I'm not sure yet if it sounds different. Maybe it does. If it sounds different, write in and let me know what you think. The address is Barry Took, BBC, Point of View, London, W1A. Okay, don't write in unless you're listening from the United Kingdom in about the 1980s. So yeah, we're in, we're moved. Uh, It's a bit different here, a bit different to the last place. We don't have a kitchen table for Lisa and I to talk on. So if you like those bits of the podcast, we'll have to come up with a a different way of doing it. So what are we going to have a look at in this episode? Well, in this episode, we're going to have a quick look at some groovy stuff that's come up in my feed on social media in the last two weeks that helps you get better at the stuff that you have to do. I've picked out the best of what I've found, and we've got one video, one podcast, and a couple of blogs to have a look at. So if you're either stressed, dealing with work frustrations, feeling unmotivated, or looking to change habits, then this episode is for you. Okay, so first we've got a great piece by John Rampton. So this was from the Inc.com site, and it's all about discipline versus motivation. So what do you think about this? When things get tough, what keeps you going? Is it having the discipline to see things through? Or is it the motivation to soldier on when you've lost your get up and go because it's got up and gone? Well, this article gives three different perspectives. The first bit quotes Miranda Marquit, who says that willpower is a limited resource. She says that you can use it up, so if you want to keep going, you need the self-motivation that sustains you when willpower runs out. However, Top Gun pilot David Burke disagrees. He says motivation is meaningless. So Burke talks about how we might be familiar with this Hollywood idea of the coach that gives this inspirational speech. You know the one and then the team go on to win the game against all the odds, or the army sergeant that barks so much at the troops that they eventually pull through for him. Well, he goes on to say that in real life, when fear and fatigue and doubt set in, no speech can provide the motivation to keep you going. Now, this article goes on to quote Jim Rohn, who says, It takes consistent self-discipline to master the art of setting goals, time management, leadership, parenting and relationships. And if we don't make consistent self-discipline part of our daily lives, the results we seek will be sporadic and elusive. 
So to me, at first sight, it looks like there's a bit of a conflict here. Does being disciplined make sure you stay motivated? Or do you need powerful levels of motivation to keep the discipline up? Now, I think there's a confusion here because there is a difference between self-motivation and external motivation. In the bit by Burke, he's talking about people being externally motivated. You know, the coach giving the speech kind of situation. Whereas I think that Marquette is actually referring to self-motivation. So this is often referred to as the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. Daniel Pink wrote a great book on it called Drive, where he says that true motivation only comes from within us. Now, far be it from me to contradict Jim Rohn. But I don't think that self-discipline is the only way to master setting goals and time management. For me, it's the motivation that if I do these things well, then I can have a life. I can spend time with my family and my kids. That's what motivates me to then get excited about managing my priorities and my goals. And discipline, well, that kind of has a sense of things not being fun, doesn't it? And life's boring if it's not fun. Well, at the end of this article, we learn that really we need both. A lady called Gro Jordalen, I hope I've got that right, Gro Jordalen, at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences. What's science? I've just invented a word called science. Maybe it's when you study science. Let's try again. Gro Jordalen at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. She studied athletes and discovered that discipline works in the short term, but in the longer term, they need to stay motivated to stay disciplined. She also discovered that these athletes get burned out if the motivation is driven by extrinsic factors, you know, like the situation where you've got a coach shouting from the sidelines. I had one of those at school. We used to do cross-country running, and I hated cross-country running, and I only ran when the coach could see me. Well, finally in this piece, there are some good tips about developing self-discipline, including taking baby steps, more on that later, prioritising, learning from past mistakes, taking frequent breaks, taking frequent breaks. I think I should have a break from this. My words aren't coming out. And practising good habits. So what do you think? Self-motivation, self-discipline or both? Well, this article is a good read. It's thought-provoking and there are some helpful takeaways. Thanks, John Rampton, for your work on this article. And of course, the link will be in the show notes. Next, I've got a podcast recommendation, and this comes from Next Action Associates. Now, these are a UK-based training team who coach you on getting things done, or GTD. Now, as you may know, I am a GTD fan, and you might not yet have looked at it, or maybe you did, and you thought it's not for you. But I really do think it's worth looking at. Now, I like this episode of their podcast because they talk about GTD and how it reduces stress. And that's the biggest benefit for me of GTD. It might take a bit of effort to get into it, but the payoff is tremendous. I have a really, really full schedule. Schedule or schedule. Which side of the camp do you sit on? Are you a scheduler or a scheduler? Send me a message on Twitter to at Sharp Podcast to this very important matter. I'm finding myself getting a little bit more easily distracted here. I think it's because I've got a window 
I can. I don't know why I'm pointing. I'm pointing at the window, like you could see out of it. I had a window before, but uh, it was behind me, easily distracted. I have a really full schedule. Schedule. I have a very busy life, but Lisa will tell you that I don't get stressed anymore. I'm much calmer now than I've ever been, and it's definitely GTD has been a huge factor in helping me get control and balance. So here's a snip from these two ultra-relaxed chaps called Robert and Todd. And it's it's incredibly, invariably calming. I mean, if you had something that you could do that took about an hour that would take you from a stress level of, I don't know, on a 1 to 10 scale, 8 or 9 to a 2, would you invest an hour a week doing that? I do. <laughs> I find it profoundly valuable. Yeah. Not only do I find it valuable, you know, I joke that, you know, my wife would often, you know, would often say when I was getting grumpy, hey, have you done a weekly review? You know, so it's, it's palpable. It's other people around me notice that. that that's the big one for me is, um, you know, it, it's, it's reliable and repeatable way for me to, to de-stress uh, with no side effects, right? <laughs> what, what about you, Todd? Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. I think the power of the weekly review is, is, is considerable. I think, um, and, and, I agree with you that that's a big part of it for me. I think as well, just kind of more generally, um, a uh, an impatience with using my head for things that my head is not good at, right? So, um, you know, if something appears in my world that looks like an open loop, getting it out of my head, making clarity of, you know, getting to clarity about it, getting it, getting a, a reminder about it organized if I don't do it straight away, you know, those kinds of things, um, being, being, very um, careful about how I use my brain space. That seems to have made a big difference for me as well. Well, if they're not a good example of stress reduction, then I don't know what is. This is a lovely podcast. It helps you gently get into this area. And of course, the link will be in the show notes. My video recommendation is a TED Talk from BJ Fogg. You may remember Mr. Fogg featured way back in episode 5 on habits. And if you listen to the episode, BJ took... I don't know if his name's BJ or if BJ are the initials for his first name. I have tried to find out and I can't find out. Let's call him BJ. I hope you don't mind if you're listening. If you listen to that episode, our episode, number 5 on habits, BJ talks about changing behaviour. Now he says there are three factors. The motivation your ability to do the thing, and a trigger. Hmm. Motivation seems to have become a bit of a theme in this episode, doesn't it? In this fascinating TED Talk, he explains why that works and how changing our behaviour with tiny habits can cause long-term change. Here's a snip. Um, I would have never expected that a year ago, that today I would be doing... 50, 60, 70 push-ups a day. But all this is part of being obsessed with the behavior. And one of the things that you need to do if you is practice changing your own behavior. And that gives you an understanding of how behavior works. Now, the way I arrived here was very much like the flossing, but a little bit different. And this was the equation. After I pee, I will do two push-ups. Okay, so. I'd use the facility. Yes, technically you flush the toilet first. And then two push-ups. 
and you're done. And you go, awesome, okay? <laughs> That's, yeah, okay, awesome, yeah. Well, after two, it's really easy. You move on, then you do five, then you do eight, and it, the current, where I'm at now, I do eight, but I always do extra credit. So I tend to do 12 or so, and it adds up over the day. I end up doing, who knows, 50, 60, 70, depending on how much water I've had and other factors. <laughs> the good news is that behavior and behavior change is not as complicated as most people think. It's systematic. And there are ways to understand behavior that are pretty straightforward and simple, and I'm gonna share some of those with you today. Now, what I really like about this talk is not only does he cover the theory, but he then gives us real practical ways of putting it into practice. The key part is the trigger, using existing behaviors to support a tiny new behavior change which grows. Here's what he means by that. So what kinds of tiny habits do people create? This is from uh, this upcoming week. I grabbed this out of the database. A lot of habits are geared toward the morning. After I start my morning coffee, I will tidy one item in the living room. Other habits are toward the evening, where you have routines already set up. After I enter the house at the end of the day, I will kiss my wife for 10 seconds. These kind of tiny habits work out really well. Uh, so as you think about changing your life, think about framing it in terms of this format. After I pick an existing habit that you do every day with the same frequency that you want the new behavior to happen, I will, and you've got to make it super tiny. After I pee, I will do two push-ups. After I walk in the door, I will hang my keys on the hook. After I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. That makes sense, right? That brushing becomes the trigger or the anchor for flossing one tooth, and then you celebrate it. Now the whole talk goes into more detail about the motivation ability thing, and he explains how a set of scales tweeting his weight for a year didn't help him at all in losing weight. But when he started changing tiny habits, it started to work. And I'll leave the final word on this one to BJ Fogg himself. Here's the phrase. And it comes down to this. I live up in the wine country. I do a lot with the earth as much as I can. And this seems to map exactly what I'm talking about. Plant a tiny seed in the right spot, and it will grow without coaxing. The tiny seed. This pumpkin came from a tiny seed that actually we didn't even plant. It came from the chicken uh, manure that we put in the garden, and it grew. We didn't have to do anything to it, it just grew, we, tiny seed in the right spot. So I encourage you to look at your lives, look at what you want to change, break it down to tiny behaviors, and put them in the right spot. The right spot is after something you're already doing, and allow it to grow. You don't have to amp up motivation, you don't have to draw that much on willpower, all you have to do is plan it out, and let this natural process emerge. Thanks, everybody. Go and have a look at this. It's a great watch. And of course, the link is in the show notes. Finally, in this episode, I have found a cracking article. 
Now, there are a lot of blogs out there, aren't there? And there's loads of places that you can find information if you want to get better. As you know, this is the best place for all that stuff, of course. Some of these blogs are interesting, some are practical. And then every now and again, there is a real golden nugget. This one I'm talking about is from Fast Company, and it's written by Harvey Deutschendorf. So here's a question for you. Do you ever find yourself getting frustrated at work? Yeah, right. Who doesn't? And often, it can be because of something that someone else has done or a situation that you can't control or influence. What we can influence, though, is how we react to them. Here are five emotionally intelligent solutions to some of these frustrations. And these don't just apply to work, but to anything which frustrates us. The first one, wait to react. This sounds simple, but we know that our emotions can sometimes get the better of us. It's the way our brains are constructed. The emotional response can be the fastest one. But by taking a second to let that pass can make a huge difference. As the article says, feeling a strong emotion of any kind should send you a cue. I need a second to think. No, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not telling you I need a second to think. I'm quoting from the article. Feeling a strong emotion of any kind should send you a cue, the cue being, I need a second to think. It's noticing the feelings that's the trick. This reminds me of a benefit of meditation, sometimes referred to as the gap between the match and the fuse. The idea being that if you can spot the gap before the explosion happens, you can then work on widening that gap and eventually stopping the emotional atom bomb which as I'm sure we've all experienced at some point, never helps anyone. The second tip in this article is to then name the feeling. Now, I've heard this idea lots of times in other podcasts, and it, it is one that does seem to have some impact. So the way it works is, having taken a second to recognise that you're feeling something you don't like, the next step is to try to describe it. Giving it a name helps you see it in perspective, and it, it seems to lose its power. Now, I use this technique when I find myself lost in thought, and when I catch it, I call my thoughts Robert, and I say, Hello, Robert. Welcome to the party. And it immediately allows me to stand back and almost get outside of that whirlpool of thinking, enough to be able to refocus on what I'm actually doing. The third tip is share how you feel with someone who can be objective. So this is the idea of instead of talking to someone who'll just sympathise and both of you ending up in a pity party, or as the article says, misery loves company, you find someone who listens well but who is removed enough to give you an unbiased view. Now this again can help reduce the emotion and help you start to see a solution. Next is tip number four. And that is, reflect on the situation like an outside observer. Now, they explain that this isn't always easy, but if you can make an honest attempt to see things from everyone's perspective, it can help you find alternative explanations, including thinking carefully about whether you may have played a part yourself 
in how you're feeling now. Now this can be tough, but it is effective. And I like this, particularly as it helps you to see how others might feel as well. After all, it's not just about us, is it? Finally, tip number five. Imagine it's one year later. Now I often do this. I ask myself the question, in one year or five years or ten years time, will I look back on this thing and feel like it really mattered? This is a great final tip, which can really help you to get perspective and help you step away from the emotion. So I think that's a really good article, that one, five practical tips. And as it says in the final line, you can't prevent yourself from feeling aggravated, but you can often control what you do about it. Again, as always, this fab article link will be in the show notes. So there we go. That is the pick of things I've come across in these past two weeks to help you get even better at the stuff you have to do so you can spend more time doing the things you want to do. I wonder if I can make that like a bit of a catchphrase. We could all do it together. Come on, after three. I'm only joking. And just to save you going back and having to listen again, unless of course you want to, here are this episode's takeaways. Use self-motivation to help you be disciplined and discipline to keep you motivated. Daniel Pink's book, Drive, is a great place to start. Listen to the Next Action Associates podcast on using GTD to reduce your stress. Watch BJ Fogg's video on tiny habits. It's really practical and it could help you change big things with tiny steps. When work or anything is frustrating, you wait to react, describe how you feel, Tell someone who can be objective, step outside the situation like an outside observer and ask yourself, in 10 years' time, will this really matter? Okay, well, that's it for this episode. I hope there's something in there that you found helpful. Let me know if you did. I'm off. I've only rearranged this studio four times so far, so I think it's probably time for me to move it all around again. So until next time, bye-bye. All the links, resource and articles I've used in this episode will be in the show notes right there on your device. Hopefully you'll find them helpful and useful and hopefully you'll find this whole podcast helpful and useful. I hope you do and I do spend a lot of time and effort making sure it's relevant, helpful and entertaining enough for you to listen to. If you agree and you'd like to show your support, there are several ways you can do it. You could go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating or a great review, which would be fab. Alternatively, you can share the podcast on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We are at Sharp Podcast, one word, two Ps. Or you could even show someone how to subscribe on their phone or their device. And finally, on the website, sharppodcast.com, you can leave feedback, subscribe or go and listen to the archive episodes. I'm off. I hope you're able to find one thing before our next episode that you can do, which will help you get better. And remember... Don't waste time comparing yourself to anyone else. The only person you should try to be any better than is the person that you were yesterday. Bye-bye. Oh, there's an airplane going over. We didn't have airplanes at the last place. Uh, well, finally in this piece...